Is there a reason God is keeping me poor? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, we're going to be taking care of business. Welcome to August. You know, the number eight, this is the eighth month. The number eight means a new beginning. So no matter what's happened, the first part of this wild and crazy year, you got a new beginning. That's right now. Let's make this a new beginning for the last five months of the year. Make it great. Well, we got some interesting questions, starting right out with the one I already asked. Why is God keeping me poor? And somebody wants to know, how can I use public domain books in my business? What's the best way to get on podcast shows? Do you need to spend money to make money? Well, great questions, as always. I want to review the life stages we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Got some new input on that from my mastermind that I want to share with you. I want to remind you about the Dreamer documentary. Now, that's going to be the focus of next week's podcast, the 14th. So we're going to be breaking down how they look at passion, calling, vision, truth, mission, those kind of things. You know, how do you break that down in your own life? And I want you to watch this documentary. Again, I have no no stake in the game at all. I just think it's a great resource to get our thinking going. If you go to dreamerdocumentary.com, you can get on the wait list. It's going to be released on the 10th. So in that window of time, please watch it. Come back here and it'll help you frame your application from the inspiration that you're going to see there. Hey, a quotation from today comes from Maya Angelou, who said, this is a wonderful day. I've never seen this one before. Don't you like that approach? Great approach. Why wouldn't it be a wonderful day? Why would you expect anything else? We're going to talk a lot today about expectations and how that lays the groundwork for what the reality is in our lives. Well, a couple of good news things here. I love this. Growing Change, that's the name of an organization, flips abandoned prisons into sustainable farms. And then they have at-risk youth, jobless veterans who work there. So on the grounds of an abandoned and decommissioned prison in North Carolina, vegetables are being tended by hands that might have ended up in a real prison with nowhere to go but down. Growing Change is an organization that believes the best solution to a problem is one that strikes at the root, and they've been tilling that soil since 2011. In converting old prisons to year-round farming and education centers, Growing Change solves several problems at once. The program brings together young men on the edge of the criminal justice system and jobless wounded veterans returning from deployment. So what they do is they have these people work together, boom, have them work together in, in, in you know, making the prison into something meaningful. But I love this kind of model. Love this kind of model. Now, this may seem surprising, but the incarceration rate in the United States is at its lowest level in more than 20 years. Imprisonment among black Americans 
is down by 34% since since 2006. Now, you may think with all the news going on that there's a lot of other things happening. No, imprisonment overall is diminishing dramatically. And the highest rate of reduction is in the black community. So North Carolina, along with a lot of other states, has prisons that are being abandoned. Now, I I enjoy this whole thing um, because of the experience that I had when uh, Carrie Oberbrunner and I, a couple years ago, did an event we called Escaping Shawshank, and we took participants to the prison where Shawshank Redemption was filmed. It's a massive, massive prison up in Mansfield, Ohio. Just imposing architecture done so that it would be intimidating to anybody coming in. But it's this massive structure. It's no longer being used as a prison. So it's just kind of a museum. It's, it's one of those, it's, it would be, it would cost millions and millions of dollars to tear it down. Nobody wants to fund tearing it down. So it's just sitting there kind of rusting. But the point is, what if we took those prisons and converted them into a positive force in our communities? Well, growing change is doing that. I think there's opportunity. And that's the kind of thinking, you know, I just want to encourage those of you listening for that kind of thinking. A lot of you have similar ideas where you could be the initiator to come up with something that made a major change in our society by doing that kind of good. Well, here's another one, trading a trumpet for a gun. Now, there was a New Orleans musician, a trumpeteer, local jazz trumpeteer, Shamar Allen, He knew the challenges he had growing up, and he saw what was happening in his community in New Orleans, and he put out a notice that he would trade a trumpet. He had extras, since that's his profession. He'd trade a trumpet for a gun. Well, he had people respond. He had kids respond. I mean, a little girl, just a young teenage girl came in with a gun and a whole round of ammunition, and he's trading. Now, he worked this out with the police department that they'd take him, take care of him, you know, so they're on board with this. Nobody's going to get in trouble for turning in the gun. And now he has other musicians stepping up saying they'll provide instruments as well and also free lessons. Again, just a great example. Simple idea. Let's just trade, trade musical instruments for guns. What a great idea. Well, lots of good things happening out there. I want to just refresh you on the life stages that I've talked about the last couple of weeks. I want to just add a couple things to this. We won't dwell here, but those life stages, when I laid that out, you know, starting with, well, I started with the learning stage in the twenties decade where you learn lots of things, see which ones motivate you. Then went on to experimenting in the thirties, mastering in the forties, reaping in the fifties, guiding in the sixties. Then I added a couple more, leaving a legacy in the seventies, maximizing your zone of genius in the eighties. Well, I ran this by my mastermind source of a lot of wisdom and just wanted their input. You know, is this an artificial structure to superimpose these stages of life that we go through? And we talked a lot about the fact that a lot of us in there have jumped around. I mean, we may be in a later stage, you may be in your fifties and decide you want to learn something new. There's a lot of opportunity to do that, but we still, still felt like it was a helpful kind of structure just to kind of encourage us as we're going through. But we added one at the beginning, one at the end, because I said, geez, I got a lot of grandkids and I would see what they're doing in their teenage years. I don't want to ignore that as a, as a important stage of life. So we added that we're going to call that discovery. 
from 10 to 20 years old, discovery, seeing the world through your own eyes, choosing friends, clarifying areas of interest, developing social skills, personality traits. And then at the very end, I said, geez, a lot of us are going to live way past 70 and 80. What about the 90s? What are you going to do in the 90s? Well, we decided to give that the term sage. Sage. Isn't that neat? I mean, sage is an herb that makes things smell better, taste better. But as a sage, as a person, it's sharing wisdom gained through reflection and experience, showing great understanding of people and situations, guided by good sense of maturity. Doesn't that sound like a cool season of life that we all want to get to, to be considered a sage? Well, we're going to add that for the 90s. So now we have nine decades outlined or 90 years with kind of an overview. So I hope that's helpful and fun to think about. Now here's this question where Kim says, I don't think you've had this question before. Dan, you're uniquely qualified in my mind to answer a deeply secret question of my heart. Because of your experience guiding people in careers and because you're a committed man to God's word, I would like to ask you a sincere question. Do you think it is possible or probable that God makes some people unable to make money? to keep them handicapped to trust in him. Now that's the essence of your question right there. So we're going to spend a little time kind of unwrapping that. Do you think it is probable that God makes some people unable to make money so it keeps them handicapped and having to trust in him? As a wife, mom, and even as a full-time employee, I haven't really had the breakthrough of others in the area of money. I save it. I have investments, but the actual making of money seems to avoid me. Even now, as I look to possibly go into your coaching mastery program, it's the area of money that seems to continue to elude me. Many times I've felt God's provision, but even after many years of studying his prosperity desires in the Bible, I struggle with the actual making of it. This could be a mindset. I plan to read the book mentioned on Monday in our Eagles community, The Big Leap. But after being in that call, I began to realize my heart's question. Could I be handicapped like a Joni Tata Erickson Tata, unable to walk, yet a powerful person to represent handicapped people in that area? You know, so Kim is asking, you know, is she handicapped and purposely being kept handicapped in the area of making money? Now, great question. I mean, this, this kind of revolves around an underlying theme that we come back to again and again and again. This area of money, is it something that's helpful? Is it evil? And we hear so many different perspectives on it. So obviously I'm just going to give, give you mine. Take it for what it's worth, but sift it through what you know. I think our responsibility is stewardship of what God has given us. So when we consider our finances, just ask this simple question, is God glorified in what I'm doing with what I have access to? I mean, can you hold your head high and be proud of what you've done with your money, what you have? Now, you know, Jesus was comfortable with a woman pouring out extremely expensive perfume on his feet. I mean, there seem to be plenty of examples of extravagance in people worshiping God. And Jesus came along, you know, he doesn't say that to follow him, we must be poor. In fact, what did he call us to do? To care for the poor. We have to be stable enough 
so that we can give in order that we can care for the poor. So it, it's about our hearts. I mean, yes, we have to be satisfied with what we have, but we have to see the opportunities for provision so that we can even do a better job of caring for the poor. You know, there's a, a ceremony in the Jewish culture that I've referenced often. It's called the Havdalah. And th- this is a concept, that, being raised as I was, being raised Mennonite, pretty difficult lesson for me to learn. We were taught to give until there's nothing left to give, to essentially kill the golden goose, just give it all away. You know, there's a whole, you're a whole lot safer in terms of your spirituality with nothing than the dangers that money brings. That's kind of what I was raised with. But in this service, the Jewish have the lost service that they do at the evening of the Sabbath, the family is all together and the father pours wine into a cup until it runs over into the saucer beneath. Now the symbolism is that we're going to go out into the workplace at the beginning of the week and we're going to do what we do with such excellence that we're going to fill our own cup and then continue pouring for the benefit of others. I mean, the Jewish view is that intending to your own vineyard is not shameful. It's a moral obligation, a moral obligation to fill your own cup and have an excess, an abundance from which you can share generously. That's a very different mindset than I see played out in a lot of people who are trying to be godly. I see people who always have an empty cup and then they don't realize they have little to give. They have very little to give emotionally, spiritually, or financially. So I want you to just think about this image in your mind. It's a whole lot easier to serve well from a full cup. Now, Jesus declared during the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit for there's this kingdom of heaven. But now be careful with what we read there. Poor in spirit, not poor financially, poor in spirit. That means, you know, recognizing we're not totally self-sufficient. You know, whatever means we have comes as a result of interacting well with those around us, serving others, I mean, not being flamboyant or arrogant. I mean, I think a lot of times people are extremely poor because money is the only possession that they have. We can have a lot of wealth and riches in our lives that do not involve money. And I think we need to be consciously aware of what those things are. Now, I find a lot of people who, again, are trying to be godly, feel guilty about having money, and they look for subtle ways to sabotage it. Years ago, the church that we were going to up in Kentucky, there was a single mom and a teenage son And they were extremely poor. I mean, she just didn't have many means to provide anything. She was very godly. I mean, as a matter of fact, she used to always have a word from God for me. We used to kind of joke about it after a while because it was so constant, but she'd have these word from God for people. She was very, very spiritual and absolutely broke. I mean, golly, you look at their little rented house and the grass was knee high and there were broken windows. You know, the sidewalk was chipped up. Well, they just never had anything, and people would give them groceries and all that. So we went together as a church and gave them a brand new car. It was a Chevy Cavalier, light blue. I can see it in my mind perfectly. Being a car guy, I thought that was a big deal. We gave them a brand new car. You know that in four months, that brand new car had dents on it 
The windshield was cracked. Wheel covers were missing. What happened? They weren't good stewards of what they had. And so everything they had that could be translated into better finances or wealth was diminished. It's a mindset. Now you ask, Kim, do you think it's probable that God makes some people unable to make money to keep them handicapped to trust in him? I don't think it works that way. I knew another lady one time who went through a divorce. She was left with a fabulous house and certainly more than adequate finances, but she decided that she was called as a missionary, the particular country that she wanted to go to. And so she knew that to be an effective ministry, she needed to raise support, be totally dependent on God for her resources. She sold her house, gave the money away. She gave away all the resources that that she had, you know, a couple million dollars. She gave it away so that she would be dependent on God for what she needed. And then she tried to ask people to give her money so she could be an effective missionary. Well, guess what? Six Six months later, she was resentful and angry and begging. How is that responsible stewardship of what she had available to her with what she had? She should have been able to be an effective ministry without ever having to ask for a donation the rest of her life. I mean, what a privilege and joy that should have been. But no, she sabotaged that. Making herself dependent on God? No, I don't think that's an honorable direction to go. So let me ask can you allow yourself to be a good steward of more money? I mean, have you ever purchased something just for yourself, just to enjoy beauty and abundance? I mean, if you, let's say that you enjoy writing, have you ever purchased for yourself a Mont Blanc pen or a really beautiful writing instrument? What would that do to enhance your creativity and feeling like you're in the, the flow of abundance that you can share with other people? And have you ever taken a cruise or do you always feel the pressure to be practical and realistic? When was the last time you got a massage for no other reason than to enjoy that cleansing experience? But you know what? If you're not comfortable with money, it's not likely that you'll ever have much. I see people, you know, get ready for their day. They get ready, teeth brushed, hair combs. And then they walk into a workspace that's nothing but utilitarian, bare walls, Dirty floors, a $20 chair. How are you going to do your best work in that kind of environment? Can you embrace beauty, another form of riches and wealth in your setting? I mean, how about some flowers? I mean, I, I usually have, as I do right now, a candle going in my office. It just kind of sets the stage for how I want to work. What about an awesome painting on the wall? or a figurine, or a really attractive lamp. I mean, Immanuel Kant, German philosopher, said that to properly appreciate beauty, the viewing conditions must be optimal. How can you appreciate beauty looking out if you're in the middle of something really drab and utilitarian? How can you even recognize opportunities for wealth if you're living in poverty, concerned about putting groceries on the table this afternoon. I mean, one of the things that I have in my office here, now I stand while I do my podcast, so I'm not sitting in my amazing chair, but I have an amazing chair. 
I mean, I have a human scale freedom chair. I've had it for over 15 years. It's absolutely like the day I bought it. It's that much quality. Now, I think it was pretty much the most expensive chair I looked at. It was around $900, as I recall. But the quality and the comfort are amazing. Now, think about that. Over 15 years, that means it's cost me about 16 cents a day. For enhancing the comfort and creativity, I think that's really worth it. I think that was a good investment. Now, think about what I've been able to do in 15 years in terms of creating content, coaching, speaking, hopefully bringing hope and information, help, inspiration, encouragement to other people. I think it's enhanced because I'm careful about the environment. I'm working in an environment of plenty, of abundance, of richness that I then get to share with other people. We just finished a Will It Fly group in the 40 Days Eagles community. So I did a group where they were trying to get to their first 1,000 and then a group trying to get to their first 5,000 and now a group that's trying to get to their first consistent. These are consistent levels. First consistent $10,000 a month. You know what? At each level, it's easier to see people escalate. It's a whole lot easier to go from $5,000 a month in income to $10,000 a month than it is to get the first $500 a month. Once you understand the process, the increase becomes easier. And that's how money works. When you have none, you see lack and poverty everywhere. When you have your own money, you see opportunity for more money everywhere. And it comes to you easier and easier. You know, I'm going to wrap up this section right here. We've got some other questions I want to get to. But I'll just read that famous piece by Marianne Williamson that where she talks about our greatest fear. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Well, good transition point. Just to remind you, we're going to be plowing through some questions here from you, the listeners. Thanks for shooting those in. I'm always honored to see your questions when I open that magical email box, when I get a chance to see the things that you're dealing with, same kind of things that I'm dealing with. We get a chance to unpack them together. If you got a question or success story, just shoot it into me at askdan at 48days.com. Again, that's askdan at 48days.com. Well, Michael says, what's the best way to get on podcast shows? I think this is a follow-up to a previous question he had. Do you simply cold call, email, or put together a simple uh, summary document of the product, journey, and result? Any suggestion would be appreciated. Well, this is right in my sweet spot right now, Michael, because, well, for two reasons. One is I get a flood of requests to be in my podcast. Now, it's pretty interesting in that here's 
some basic principles. If you want to be on somebody's podcast, listen to that podcast a couple of times. So you know how they interact, what their themes are. I get tons of requests to be on my podcast for people who want to, you know, talk about bitcoins or investing in gold or the real estate market or, you know, hiring effective employees. It goes on and lots of topics about things that I never deal with on here that I don't even address on this. And then the other thing is, I mean, how often do I have an outside guest? It's very, very rare, usually two or three times a year that I have an outside guest, but people don't acknowledge that because they haven't taken the time to even know what my show is about, but they hammer me just thinking if they throw enough on the wall, something will stick. That's a really, really poor approach. Now here's one that I did just respond to. Young lady wrote to me. She said, I'm writing to introduce one of the original sharks on the TV hit show Shark Tank. The creator of the infomercial and pioneer of the as seen on TV industry, Kevin Harrington, and his mentee, serial entrepreneur Mark Tim. The two have co written the groundbreaking new book, Mentor to Millions Secrets of a Success in Business and Beyond. Now, why did that get my attention? It got my attention because I know Kevin Harrington and Mark Tim. They've been here at our place. They've eaten meals here at our place because of other projects. Yes, I'll promote that. Yes, I'll do an interview with them because there was a relationship first. And that's that's part of what I want to share with you, Michael, is develop relationships first before you look for a transaction. Now, I have a new book out the new 20th anniversary edition of 40 days to the work you love. Just this last week, I sent out 38 boxes to people who are influencers, people who have big audiences, people who do have podcasts. I sent out two books, a letter, some goodies in there, sent that out to 38 people. I now have 21 interviews scheduled as of today. I have three I'll be doing later this afternoon, 21 interviews scheduled and the calls are coming in daily from those because those were not people that I just sent out cold. Those were people, there's not a single person in there that I've not known for. I have to go back and look at the list. I, I doubt there's anybody in there that I've not known for at least five years. So these are people that I've already lived life with. I've promoted things they're doing. I've encouraged them. I know what they care about. I know their spouses, their kids, their interests. So they're people that I have personal relationship with. Then I send them something. Well, sure, they're going to have me on. And reverse is true as well. Now, I don't mean to imply that it's going to take you years and years and years to be able to do this. No, you can still be careful about how you do get information out there to hosts that would potentially want to talk about your topic. Now, there's some really good people out there like uh, Tom Schwab with Interview Valet. I mean, there's services that'll help screen and get you on podcasts that are really appropriate for your topic. Now, it's hard to justify the cost on that if you're just selling a book, incidentally. And it's hard to make that work. But uh, check that out. I mean, just do a quick search on that. You can see how other people are getting on podcasts. But my personal recommendation is make sure that you're building relationships that then open the door to that kind of exposure. Barbara says, I need to get up and running to be more productive. I feel like I've fallen off a cliff. I feel jaded about the world of work and my ability to do something needed in the market and also to earn a decent living. 
I was a licensed massage therapist for years. Yeah, there's an intrinsic factor that's high, but the industry has changed and I need to move on, but I don't know how to get started. My first love has always been literature. I feel like I need to integrate my identity somehow to believe I can be successful. What holds me back the most is I have not been very successful in some ways that do matter. All right. Now that's, that's um, a, kind of a circular question, Barbara, but I want to encourage you in what you present here. You want to do something that's meaningful. You want to earn a decent living. You've been a licensed size therapist, but the industry has changed. Well, every industry is changing. doesn't matter what it is. Every industry. What if you're a school teacher right now? Has that industry changed? Oh my goodness. Yeah, it has. What if you're a doctor? Has that changed? Yeah, it doesn't matter what it is you're talking about. Every industry is changing. So that's not unique. You're not going to find something that's going to be stagnant. Well, it'd be boring if it was, if it was predictable for the next 10 years or five years. Everything is changing. So just assume that as a given. What could you do as a licensed massage therapist? Wow, I've seen licensed massage therapists who have then included other kind of physical practices. They've started teaching with on nutrition and wellness. My massage therapist is a wealth of knowledge for me in helping me do stretches that avoid lower back pain, things that increase my energy, foods to avoid. I mean, it goes on and on and on. I mean, you'd be that source of information and you could embrace then your love of literature, your love of writing by moving more into that. Don't think that the only application of your knowledge as a massage therapist is just to touch people with your hands. There can be lots of things. I mean, you may be, as you get older, I know massage therapy is kind of tough to do physically, but you can move into other areas of application from your experience, maturity, and knowledge that don't involve just more physical stress and strain. So don't, don't be too quick to throw the baby out with the bath, so to speak. Don't be too quick to just ignore what you've known because the industry changes and because maybe your desires have changed. Look at how that can be a foundation for you to expand upon, to move into new opportunities in the future. All right, Deborah says, I'm starting here because I'm not sure who or where to ask. One of my side gigs is as a costumed performer. To grow my brand and increase my audience, I'd like to read Christmas stories to children free via Facebook Lives, on a YouTube channel, that kind of thing. If I give complete acknowledgement to the author and publisher verbally, a close-up of the book in the video, and in the description, can I do this without getting in trouble, in trouble or paying royalties? I'd like to use public domain books, but I'm having a hard time finding ones for my audiences, families with children. Is there a website or some other source of guidance? Any help would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, you've all been a great blessing to me over the years, over the last 10 years or so that I've been reading, listening to Dan Hugs, Deborah. Well, thank you, Deborah, for your note and your question. And yes, we have an amazing brain trust of resources and wisdom in the 48 Days Eagles community. And one of those being Aaron Kerr with what you're talking about. See, I'm not going to try to explain all the things about public domain, but I know somebody who can. That's my, that's my mode of operation for pretty much everything is how can I find somebody who's already an expert in this area? And so I look for coaching. I look for a course. I look for a book. Well, Aaron has a book on public domain publishing. If you go to timelessreads.com, 
timelessreads, all one word, dot com, you'll see Aaron's site. And you'll see right now his public domain publishing. You can get 20% off. It's normally $55. Right now it's $44 to get the course. And it's the best course I know. There are other people out there whose names I could mention, but his is the best one I know. It's one that I have, one that I purchased and went through and referred to. Joanna and I go through it because we love the possibilities in a public domain. So instead of just trying to figure it out and guessing as to whether or not you're legal and can do this, my goodness, get a course like that. I have, I've mentioned that I've, I've got a couple of courses recently where I've been plowing through new information. I mean, I enjoy cars and I like the process of having cars that I can drive for a period of time and then sell and make money. I mean, I've done that all my life. And there's a guy who's really an expert at that. And he shows you how to do that with more expensive cars, with exotic cars and luxury cars. First thing I did, buy his course. I bought his course on exotic car hacking, went through it, and then he referenced that he had a brand new course on luxury car hacking, which is really more in my sweet space. So the exotic car hacking is buying and selling Lamborghinis, Ferraris, Rolls Royces, Bentleys like that. Whereas exotic cars includes, you know, Porsches and BMWs, those those kind of things. There would there'd be more daily drivers. So I purchased the course. I mean, the first thing I did is just jump right in and purchase the course. That's certainly my my recommendation in this situation as well. Hey, the next one here, the next question, and really the last one we're going to grab today is related. Do you need to spend money to make money? Gabrielle says, Dan, I was recently commissioned to do an oil painting for a neighbor and friend. I've always loved to paint and I know I'm good at it, but until this project came along, I never thought I could make income from that skill. Nevertheless, I'm considering starting a side business selling paintings for a little extra income on top of my federal job. My question to you is, do you see truth to the saying you need to spend money to make money? I'm not talking about student loans here, which unfortunately I have in large amounts. I'm talking about startup costs for a business, materials, equipment, consultants, coaches. Do you think it's necessary to spend money up front in order to make it back? Thanks for all the inspiration during these challenging times, Gabby. Yes, Gabby, I think it's a really wise decision to look for ways to spend money wisely, to accelerate the learning process. I mean, if you want to be a sale commission art, wow, look in your community for somebody who's already doing that and go to their classes for a month. I mean, buy a book. I mean, get Jeff Goins. We just had Jeff Goins on as our Monday mentor in the Eagles community. Real artists don't starve. I mean, make sure you get that book. Real artists don't starve. So yes, I mean, just think about it. I mean, you're, you're talking about a business. I mean, what business... Could you think up where it would not be helpful? Now, is it possible? Yes. Today, when we have information, products, it's possible to start a business with zero income. But I don't try to do that. I don't try to push in that direction. I quickly look for coaching, resources, courses, whatever, so that it accelerates the speed at which I can get up and running. Always done that. So here's another example, and I'll come back to art in a minute, but here's another example. We have a lot of people, you know a lot of people, who would like to write a book. And it baffles me when I hear people saying, 
you know, I don't want to spend any money. You know, I'm going to self-publish. I'm going to just put it up on Amazon. I can do that. I'm not going to spend a penny. I'm thinking, well, your results are not likely to be very impressive. It is easy to just put something together and get it out there. It's real easy. But I don't see a whole lot of those that have any level of success for the people doing them. What I recommend, if you want to do even a oh, self-published book, is that you budget $5,000. Budget $5,000 for it. I mean, if you're going to be a shoeshine person at the airport, you need to invest three dollars $400 in equipment to be set up to do that. Reasonably so. If you're going to write a book, here's how to spend $5,000. $2,600 of that I would use for an editor. Make that an editor. Don't put something out there where you've not done any editing. I know it's easy. Nobody's going to stop you. But my goodness, what a good editor can do to make your book more readable. Eliminate mistakes. Have something that engages people as you move through. So that would be a minimum. Then I have $450 for an interior layout. $350 for cover design. I mean, there's nothing that screams self-published, amateur, beginner on a book like a poor cover. And there's a whole lot of them out there where it looks like somebody pulled something up on a Word document and used clip art and put it in. Now they have a book cover. No, I mean, invest in a great, it can make a world of difference. 70% of the reason people buy a book is because of the cover. Make it stellar. Put as much effort into that as writing a manuscript. Anyway, those figures then allow $1,600 left over for marketing. But yeah, at least $5,000. So if you're going to become an artist who does commission work, absolutely invest in the process. You know me, I'm going to tell you to invest 3 to 5% of your income back into personal development, and it can go into this kind of category right here. So just budget for your own personal growth and development. That's how you get up to speed and doing something on, on the side that really does provide income. I mean, if you, if you invest $5,000 to do a really good book and then you make $100,000, would you consider that a good investment? Well, I guess so. I mean, can you do it for zero? Yes. And I don't know very many people who did their own book with a zero budget who ever got $5,000 back, let alone 100000 Well, let's wrap up with that. Gallery, we've covered a lot of territory. Just a summary to remind you here. Enjoy your stage of life. Recognize, yes, you can move through, but enjoy the stage of life, the season of life that you're in. Next thing, your mindset will open the door to your finances more than your skill or ability. Let me say that again. Your mindset will open the door to your finances more than your skill, educated, education, training, or ability. Next one, build relationships before transactions. And then to what I just mentioned, invest 3 to 5% of your income back into your personal growth. Remember, check out the Dreamer documentary. I'm really excited about what they share in there, how it's inspiring. I had all my grandkids watch it. 
mean, we all get new ideas from doing it. You'll be encouraged about what you are able to do when you see some of the people in there who have overcome tremendous hardship to get to where they are today. And next week, we're going to go through that five-step process of clarifying what it is you bring to the table with a plan for doing that. Remember our quotation? This is a wonderful day. I've never seen this one before. My Angelo. Hey, thanks for hanging around. Thanks for being in this community, for submitting your questions. Shoot those in to AskDan at 48days.com. And above all, thanks for being part of this community where we encourage each other, where we give each other ideas and resources generously. And where we know, without a shadow of a doubt, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. You don't need to settle for less.